1: It's All in Your Mind, The Paranormal Imagination of John E.L. Tenney. Hey, guys, it's Mike, and once again, I'm with Wendy Lynn. What's up, weirdos? And then Miss Lisa Van Buskirk from Madison Ghost Walks.
2: Well, hello there.
1: And my inimitable sister, Allison Jornlin from MilwaukeeGhost.com.
3: Yeah, hey, everybody.
1: All right, so we met up with the supernatural Seamus... Otherwise, the paranormal private dick, John E.L. Tenney, (laughs) when he was at the Palace Theater in the Wisconsin Dells on Thursday, January 23rd. We met up with him, had a quick interview with him before his lecture. Let's jump to that right now. We are going live from the Palace Theater in the Wisconsin Dells. Hi, I'm Mike from the See You on the Other Side podcast. And we are here with... The the coolest weirdo we know, the man with the weird lectures, John Eelteny, all the way from Michigan. John, how you doing today?
4: Uh, I'm great. It's good to be here in Wisconsin. Right. I haven't come to Wisconsin like just randomly in probably 15 years.
1: Okay, so welcome as as the duly elected representative of Wisconsin, of weird Wisconsin. <laughs> I have to say, welcome. And I was wondering, what is your what's your favorite paranormal story about Wisconsin?
4: Uh. My favorite is the one that I talk about at my lectures all the time, which is Joe Simonton, uh, the pancakes from outer space, which happened in Eagle River, uh, 160 miles north of here. Uh, okay. Old chicken farmer thought he saw a UFO, uh, was contacted telepathically by some aliens that were in the UFO. To, of, of course. Yes. As uh, you do. To, they gave him a big silver jug, and they told him they needed water out of his well, so he did that. Uh, and when he went back to their spacecraft, he looked inside, and they were making pancakes, And so he asked if he could have a pancake. They gave him a pancake. uh, And then they flew away. He told his friend about it, who was a judge, a local judge. The judge called uh, the Air Force. The Air Force sent people out. There was a huge scorch mark in front of his house uh, and a a giant ring in the grass. And he told him his story. And he gave them, uh, the Air Force, a pancake to do chemical analysis on. So and he actually—he add- he still had it. He tasted it. He said it tasted like garbage. It tasted like cardboard. Right. Well, aliens
1: can fly through space, but they can't <laughs> make pancakes to save their gosh-dime lives.
4: So, uh, the Air Force does their uh, chemical analysis, and it comes back that the pancakes are pancakes. They're the ingredients are pancakes. The only thing that the Air Force found interesting about them was they lacked any sodium. They were completely null of sodium. Uh, and so, when you take into account, so Joe. Joe's story when he first saw the little men in the ship, they Mm -hmm. were kind of shorter men uh, with black suits and silver piping and these weird little hats. Uh, When you match Joe's alien story up with the fairy tales of the 14th and 15th century of little people with black and silver clothing Mm -hmm. who drink pure river water out of silver vessels and who can be destroyed by salt, uh, his story lines up with the folk tales of fairy, fairy folk. Oh, okay. So that's my favorite Wisconsin story. He, a, he, did he see aliens or did he see fairy Fairies.
1: Folks? That's perfect. John, I think speaking of fairies, uh, my sister has a question for you sure. up next.
3: <laughs> hey, John. Hey. So I warned you ahead of time that I like talking about fairies yes. almost nonstop. So I know, of course, and we've talked about it at length, that you've had your own experience with an elf as you described it. Yes. Um, can you maybe... Recap a little bit for the people who are watching, and give us any updates on your
4: experience. Yeah, so with the elf. a gentleman a few years ago contacted me and wanted to know if I wanted to see an elf. And I tell people all the time, if someone asks you to do something weird and it's safe, say yes. Uh, that's how you get. That's how you get Absolutely. weird experiences.
3: Always say and yes.
4: So he sent me a list of all of these things I had to do. Uh, for three days before, I had to talk to an animal for three times a day for three days. I had to talk to a plant for three times a day for three days. Uh, I couldn't eat any meat, which is fine. I'm already vegan, uh, but I had to. There were all these constraints and things I had to do. Very strange. Yeah,
3: it's like, yes, like, like weren't there like yeah, left turns or right track. turns or something track like that? I
4: How many left turns I made every day for three days, and then at the end of each day, I had to do three right turns for every left turn I had made. So I would find myself just in the middle of the night before I went to sleep, like spinning around in circles wildly. So you just did, just did a, did a whirling, whirling dervish. dervish kind of right, thing, which is, which another, is kind of, another way to alter yeah, your consciousness. It's, a, it's very ritualistic. Like, I, and I realized yes, after the events of doing all this that I, it was very ritualistic. And I was kind of being initiated into something. So I did everything he said. I went out to his house. It was winter in Michigan. Uh, he, his backstory was he had moved up into Michigan after his wife died and he would walk through the woods and sing and he became friends with these creatures in the woods that he calls elves Uh, they talked to him telepathically and uh, so then i'm out there with him standing in the snow and he's singing and i had to uh, stand there with my mouth open so they could smell my breath so they knew i they knew i wouldn't eat them Uh, and i've done a lot of weird stuff in my life but like these are the moments where you're like is this where someone in a Keebler elf <laughs> costume jumps out and stabs me in the chest? <laughs> like
3: <laughs> these are the moments you're like, "Where right, have I well, gone I've wrong?" Made some
4: weird life choices. <laughs> um, and so then I started to see <laughs> at a certain point uh, fireflies except the way that except the it's fireflies winter. that you normally see are kind of that lemony green yellow and these were right. pinks and purples and they were kind of popping in and out not mm-hmm. the way Any a firefly blue? and Any blue. blue?
3: Some blue.
4: Yeah. Some blue. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then I realized it was cold and there shouldn't be fireflies. Yes. And then in the darkness yes. in the, in ahead of me, I could hear something scurrying around. I thought it was a squirrel, but, you know, I was there to see an elf. So I'm thinking, oh, maybe this is the elf. And he uh, said, they're coming. And then at a certain point, I had a camera hanging around my neck. I said, can I flash my light? Because so I, I didn't have a, any kind of flashlight with me. And he said yeah go ahead so i pressed the button on my camera and my flash went off and in front of me probably 20 feet away from me standing on a log was a little creature about 11 inches tall it was you made a sketch I of them for me yeah It had a big kind of floppy ears and a cat face and a big fat belly yeah. and little arms and as soon yeah. as my flash went off it kind of jumped back into the darkness and i ran forward toward it and there were little hoof prints in the snow but it was gone
3: it's that is so excellent, uh, but um, but didn't yeah, he follow so you then, home.
4: Yeah, so then it something started, something started happening after that where all of these coincidences, synchronicities, um, all of these things, the universe started lining up in front of me to the to a point where the lecture, the first lecture I had after seeing that, uh, I pulled into the parking lot. I was already late for the, the lecture. There were no places to park. I saw a car pull out.
3: Because everybody's coming to see, coming I to see you.
4: <laughs> I pulled into the parking spot, uh, and then this giant moving truck pulled in next to me so I couldn't get out my door. And I was, I'm super frustrated and I'm like freaking out and I look over and the moving truck was from Ed's Lumber and Furniture. So on the side of the truck in giant letters, it's abbreviated E-L-F on the side of the truck. So, so I look out my window and I'm looking at this giant word elf um, and I was like, oh man, it's here. And it was just these experiences where this thing started following me around. It actually, uh, at my house, I always tell people I have a force field over my house to keep out any negative spirits or anything, yeah. Like wards. And I woke up one morning and there were shingles all over my front and back lawn. And so I'd pick them all up. And then the next day, there's more shingles on my front and back lawn. And so something was on my roof oh, trying, man. To, <laughs> trying to
3: get into That elf is eating your house. roof.
4: <laughs> and so I talked to some of my friends. Some, uh, some of them are, you know, witches and some of them are magicians and, and some of them are folklorists. And they said, listen, just if, if it is this elf and it's some kind of spirit or fairy or something, uh, give it kind of a sacred space inside of your house. Tell it that it can come in, but it's got to behave, but it can have this corner. And so I put out some honey and some oatmeal, and I gave it a little corner, and everything calmed down after that. Uh, and I actually started to get kind of good synchronicities and coincidences that were associated with it. Uh, but then uh, when I, I had to start dealing with some health issues with my parents, so I had to have a kind of weird telepathic conversation with the creature and say, like, I can't deal with you right now. I have to deal with my family. Right. So right. I said, can you go back and to the gentleman who... Uh, first introduced me to you and it kind of went away it like went. it heated my call I guess
3: maybe maybe you should maybe, maybe you should reconsider, 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 and and <laughs> <into> <laughs> reconsider and pull him into service that's <laughs> 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 just an idea but, <laughs> just an idea but um so he's he's gone for now, for now. And what's
4: interesting is so but, the day after I had that conversation with it um I got a phone call from the gentleman, from the gentleman. and he said did you send this said, back, back to me back. and I said Holy the next Holy day the God. very next day oh and i said gosh. i did oh and gosh. he was like he's like it's yours and i was like it's not right now right and right. so
3: and maybe they can help you with the salt, with the salt situation yeah, I don't know.
4: Well. like it's, it's it was it's so strange and it is ongoing i mean even talking about it to this extent is going will fire it up for a little bit like i'll know now for the next couple of days that like it's still kind of around right like, right. it doesn't really go. Right. Well, I mean, sometimes it, it, it can yeah. be non-physical.
3: It, it kind of emerges a little bit more. Yeah. Well, that's very interesting. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. And I think that fairies are so important to talk about in this time of environmental crisis. So, I, you know what's interesting, too, so is
4: I've done this for 30 years, and I've talked about ghosts and exorcisms and UFOs and pancakes from outer space and all of it, and... What was interesting to me is when I took the plunge, it was at Michigan Paracon in Sault Ste. Marie, the first time I told the story in front of a crowd of people. And I was like, I'm going to get up on stage and talk about an elf. And I had all of this trepidation, even though my whole life is talking about weird stuff, right? And I got up there and I told this story, and the thing that was so beautiful was how many people came up to me and told me their stories that they've always been afraid to tell. That they will to people. I mean, it's weird in our, in, weird our in our community, community that people will talk but about that ghosts they that, that's maligned. will talk they're about not UFOs not, and Bigfoot. But not, I'm not furries, talk don't about talk fairies. about fairies. And how many of their stories right. lined up with mine? You know, a woman came up to me and she said, When I was a little girl, I used to walk around the property, um, my parents' property, and I used to wear a Walkman, a cassette Walkman. And when I sang, I would see little blue, pink, and purple lightning bugs all the time and so and so all of a sudden here's someone singing seeing those lights that i was seeing
3: that's intense well thank you i want to give give lisa a chance for a question but but i really appreciate that and we'll have to talk more
2: hello there i'm lisa van Buskirk, your ghost host with the most from madison wisconsin ghost walks and I am so thrilled to see my very old friend, yet not really, John Tenney, because I figured this out a few years ago after I saw you in person.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: We're about the same age. We went to neighboring high schools, and our paths, I'm sure, have crossed in interesting places way back when.
4: Absolutely. I'm sure there have been some punk rock shows in some dimly lit rooms.
2: Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm excited to come back and visit again. Oh, my God. Anyway, the one thing that I found very interesting about you, I'm very well read up on my ghosts a little bit in the UFOs, but the thing that you piqued my interest in was time slips. Mm -hmm. Like my, I guess my favorite story about that of your many is the one about the old lady in the house with the kids looking out the window at the snow.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So I had a client who uh, had... She said she had little ghost kids in her house. Mm -hmm. And I went there and spent two months researching and couldn't find any ghost kids. She didn't have any grandkids. There were no kids in the neighborhood. She was hearing little kids running around. And I was going to tell her, you know, I have to wrap up the case eventually. And so I was in her family room. She was making me tea. And I saw something on the windows, a little glimmer. So I I breathed on the windows, and and they fogged up, and I saw little kid handprints. So I told her, oh, you do have something in this house, right? You're giving me chills. And she was very happy about it, but then she was like, I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't crazy. Thank you. You can be on your way. So about 10 years later, I revisited her case. I went to her house. I knew that she had probably passed away because she was about 80 at the time Mm -hmm. of the first experience when I met her. And when I got to the house, there was a... A new family living there, and I walked up and did the hardest thing a ghost hunter has to do, which is cold call a house. And I'm like, I'm not gonna kill you. I don't want to scare you, but this, there was someone here used to live here that I knew that thought this house was haunted. And she said, "Oh, it's not haunted now." And I gave him my business card. And the as I was walking back to my car, the, the the woman in the house who lived in the house now, she called me back. She's like, "Mr. Tenney, could you come back here?" She's like. I don't think I have a ghost in my house, but my children have been drawing this old woman, and they, she shows me a stack of papers, and, and the little kids who were living in the house now uh, match the description of my client in the past description of the children that she was experiencing, and the children who live in the house now are experiencing my client in the past. And so it's like, what is a ghost? Like, well, we have this idea that we live, we die, and then we become a kind of invisible version of ourselves, but if if time isn't in a linear fashion, like if it's all happening at one time, uh, especially with the thing I, I I will sometimes talk about it when I tell that story is that you have a very old woman and you have very young children. So you have those people who are closest to non-existence, right? Uh, children just coming into the world and this old woman who's just going out. So do those edges of life uh, give you a kind of glimpse into the veil of the unreality of just existence itself
2: yeah ever since you told me that well I heard that story from you and a couple other Your very compelling stories about time slips or whatever I'm like wow what if this is all just happening at once and while you and I are talking right here in this fabulous old theater there's a bunch of other people seeing a show from way back when Mm -hmm. right now that we can't see and they can't see us
4: right yeah
2: And then every now and then, someone who's gifted or something may pick up on them.
4: Well, I I talk about this in my lectures sometimes, too, which is I have really called for a lot of the time ghost hunters to dive into the history of a haunted location because I wonder to myself if... The original experiences that we think a house is, like if you look through the old diaries and you look through the notes that people kept 100 years ago, they'll say, like, I saw a, a green light that was flashing on the table. Like, were they seeing our equipment in the future? Yes. Like, yep. are we somehow the ghosts that we're looking for? You know, if, if I sit here and I knock on this table and I yep. say to someone, like, can you knock like this? 20 years ago, did someone just hear me knock three no, times? And now we have a story that someone was knocking on tables in this building, and it was really just me a second ago.
2: Yeah, I think you had another story that had something to do with this about, uh, I thought it was the same one, the older lady having kids and then something about kids seeing an older lady once in a while. Like, it was another time slip thing like that.
4: I have one where uh, my client uh, went into her grandmother's house. Yes, that was one. Yeah, she went, her grandmother had passed away, so she went into grandmother's house to do kind of a last check because they were selling it. Mm -hmm. And she walked into, like, through an arch doorway into a living room, and Mm -hmm. she saw two little girls and a woman. And she screamed, and they disappeared. So she immediately went home and called her mom and was like, is grandma's house haunted? And her mom's like, not haunted. She called her aunt, is grandma's house haunted? It's not haunted. And a couple days went by, and her aunt called her and said, you know, grandma's house isn't haunted. But when your mom and I were little girls, we were with grandma in the living room, and this woman came through the arch doorway and disappeared in front of us. Yeah. And all of a sudden, my client in the present was yeah. their ghost in the past.
2: Yeah, stories like that. Yeah. yeah.
4: And then, uh, again, when you deep dive those ideas, you get into these really complex narratives of reality. Because, like, so she's seeing a ghost of her mom and her aunt and her grandma... Mm -hmm. in the present, her grandma is dead. Her mother and aunt are... Right?
2: Right. They're still there.
4: Right? Yeah. Her grandmother and and aunt are... Or, excuse me, her mother and her aunt are still alive, but she's seeing them before she was born. Yes. Right?
2: Yes. Yeah. And
4: so they're seeing her, the grandmother in the past is dead in the future. Yes. Seeing her granddaughter, who her daughter hasn't even gotten married yet. She's still just a little girl.
2: Yes. So it
4: gets, it's so wobbly. Like what's reality? That's why I love it so much.
2: I know. It's like, oh, maybe, maybe we're here with a whole nother show going on yeah. right now. Yeah.
4: We're surrounded yeah. by people. I would hope so. I would hope so too.
2: Yes. <laughs> Perfect.
1: Well, John, I gotta thank you very much. Uh, we want to make sure you get to uh, your, you know, get to have oh, yeah. a little time to unwind before you go up. Um, but that just made me think of the your you know your slogan or whatever what you think is weird is weirder than you think right and that's the whole idea it's like you know, you're seeing people that aren't even born, you know, yeah. kind, kind of thing. And so the, the rest of the show is going to be us talking about your show after you're done. Like, okay. we're going to do a post-game cool. in the, as a discussion because we've always found your lectures to be extraordinarily thought-provoking in a way that makes me want to talk about it. Like, when you see a great movie, the next thing you want to do is talk about it for the next two hours and nerd out about what you've seen.
4: Well, that makes me really happy that
1: you said that. <laughs> so Thank you. It's a, real, it's so a that, very nice compliment. So, um, but I was going to, is there any particular lecture you've done or thing that um, you see, think has the greatest reaction, has the most, you know, when you go out and do it, uh, you think it's like your
4: greatest hit. You know, my lectures, for people who have already seen them, like, they are just kind of this mishmash rambling of, like, what is exploding in my brain at the time. <laughs> sure. Um, because it, there's so much in there, and I want to talk about all of it. Uh, it is very strange, though, to watch, like, I will walk around this crowd... Uh, Before I speak and just listen to conversations to hear what people are saying and if they're really into ghosts like I probably won't talk so much about ghosts Because I want to circumnavigate what they expect because I want people to think beyond just wanting to hear a ghost story Um, I want them to challenge their own ideas. Absolutely Uh, Even if it makes them uncomfortable because like we should reach out like that about not just the paranormal but like the supernatural itself but i i I do find that you know people do uh get a little bit excited even ghost people when you start to talk about ufos okay because we do have these stories and we we are afraid sometimes to tell them uh whether it's because of the perception of being a weirdo or or being a ostracized at your job because you don't want people to think you're strange. Right. And the reality is is if we did talk to each other and we did talk about things as weird as time slips and aliens and fairies, we'd realize everyone has these stories and it's not weird at all
1: and we'd all get to enjoy an excellent breakfast of space pancakes. (laughs) John, good luck with the show tonight. Thanks for your time, and it's always a pleasure to spend a little time with you, and we can't wait to go watch you inside there. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. And we want to thank John for taking some time to talk with us before the show. Uh, He had to get ready and stuff like that, but we plied him with booze, and he was more than happy to talk to us, and it was a lot of fun.
0: Yes. And then we had even more fun afterwards as we uh, took him out to one of the Wisconsin Dells haunted venues, the Showboat oh, yeah.
1: Saloon. Right. Ghost Molly and the Showboat Saloon. And it is a stop on the Wisconsin Dells ghost tour. And so we blessed it that night with extra ghostiness. <laughs> um, but if you guys are ever in the Dells, you can check that out. Ghostwalks.com and you can see
0: some ghosts for yourself. And the Dells itself is a really weird place, which we sometimes forget because we're there so much living so close by. Yeah, but going
3: there in the winter, (laughs) when, you know, like during the summer, it is so hopping, you know, it is just like crowded beyond belief. And then in the winter, like everybody goes home, like all the people that have come in from other countries to work, the Dells are gone, Uh, you know, it's just the resident, population quite a skeleton crew it's like the
2: shining
3: yeah people still live (laughs) in and around the dells apparently but sometimes you can't tell
0: yeah but it was just funny because as I shuttle John from the palace theater to the showboat saloon We're driving and talking and we're we're, we drive past you know the parthenon and then there's the white house upside down flipped with a dinosaur busting out of it and he's just looking around like what is this place right (laughs) he's like this is weird and i'm like oh yeah so if you guys
1: so you guys out there in uh podcast land that aren't from wisconsin or chicago wisconsin dells is this tiny town um in the middle of wisconsin middle of nowhere in wisconsin but it's naturally beautiful. It's got these bluffs on the river, and that's actually – the French word for that delis or whatever. And so that's why it's called the Wisconsin Dells because it's named after these beautiful bluffs uh, that a river cuts through. And it's been like a tourist attraction in Wisconsin for 150 years.
3: That Total tourist so trap.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, it started over- out – being super gorgeous, and then it became this incredibly fabulously tacky tourist trap, and oh, yeah. it is the water park capital of the world.
1: Yeah, there's like five of them in like a super small area, so it's an insane amount of water parks. It's it's basically Wisconsin's version of Las Vegas.
0: Yeah, but what I love about it is that you know it's like like Vegas or Disney World or something, except everything everything looks homemade. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Like somebody made it in their garage, you know? No offense to any Dells artisans, but... (laughs) Well, and it's a lot nicer now than it used to be. Because when we were kids, it kind of was on
1: the... the, In the 80s, it was kind of on the tail end of this boom they had in the 1950s and 60s in tourism in the Wisconsin Dells when a lot of the attractions were created. So you'd go there in the 80s and the hotels... I mean, hotel sorry. Everything's a motel.
2: There. <laughs> no tell, motel. No
1: <laughs> right. It was all, everything's a little bit dilapidated. And, um, you know, the, the theme parks, there was like a Bible village you'd go to. It was like stories from the Bible. And then there was one with fairy tales. You could be the, like, walk into the shoe that the old woman lived in.
3: Yeah. We went to that one.
2: And the dinosaurs. Yeah. Oh, a, I love the dinosaurs.
1: There, there was a uh, a little house made of foam called Xanadu. And it was like, this is the house of the future. <laughs> And my favorite was this place called Robot World. Yes. And Robot World had been made probably right after Star Wars came out, the first one. And you walk through Robot World and you see, like when you were a kid, like when I went there in 1981, I thought it was the greatest thing. And like, oh my God, these robots are so modern. I went there again in 1998. Okay. and it was like a throwback to see like here's what we thought the future would look like in 1981 <laughs> kids and so the the dells is this delightfully tacky place but full of natural beauty full of a lot of interesting like history um from the native american legends there to the you know the european settlers all the way through the millions of people that have come in there for tourism and over the summer it is um I mean, 100,000 people come in every weekend, fully like 23% of all of the tourism money spent in Wisconsin is spent in the Wisconsin Dells.
2: I was just thinking, when you go to the Dells, and I am a transplant from Detroit, Mm -hmm. I've been here about 25 years, arrived as an adult, so my experience there was with my niece and nephews at the water parks, and I heard about this place for a few years, and then I finally took the duck tour where I saw the absolutely gorgeous natural landmarks and Dells, I would say if you ever go there for the tackiness, please find time to take the ducks or see why it became this incredibly tacky place that it is.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. And please, please, please go on the Wisconsin Dells ghost tour uh, (laughs) if you go up there. And uh, we'll give you some haunted history and some fun stuff. But um, so John's presentation, um, as you heard, the man can speak. So you just heard us talk to him for 20 minutes and he really... Um, he went back to some of those stories that he told us and elaborated on them in the presentation. And that was really cool. And um, but I think my, my favorite part of it, and we've kind of heard him tell a bit of this story before, a bit of this idea, is, you know, when we're looking at something, we have this thought that we are looking at, like I'm right now I'm in my basement, um, because I needed to get away from my screaming toddler upstairs so I was able to record. So right now, I'm, I'm sequestered away in my basement, and I'm looking at, oh, a couple of skeletons and <laughs> the body of a murder victim. As you do. And so I'm looking at this. As, as I'm looking at that dead body, I'm thinking that it's the light reflecting off an actual dead body, and then it comes into my eyes, and then it processes in my brain. And But what I'm actually, I mean, what I'm actually, I could be seeing anything, and it's... The inside of our brain is the one that is doing the receiving. The um, you know, it's it's, it just there's light, and then it goes through your brain to say like, okay, what is this thing? So it gets, as he gets these particles of light, it says, what is this thing? And then, um, and then we try to find the reasoning center of our brain to say like, okay, this thing is a body because I recognize a body, and everything we see is processed in our brain, and. I don't know if I'm explaining that well. Can anybody, like, help me out with this idea that...
3: Yeah, I have the exact quote. So, John Tenney, because this impressed upon me as he was speaking as well, he said, everything you've ever seen, you've only ever seen in your head. So, when people are doubtful of the things he claims or, you know, to have experienced... You know, he says, yeah, you're right. You know, when they tell him it's all in your head, he's like, yeah, you're right. It is all in my head. But everything is all in our heads. Everything we've ever experienced, we're not experiencing the actual thing. All of us are experiencing our, um, our bodies, our nervous systems, uh, our set, uh, <laughs> our schema, our um, We're all experiencing our own interpretation of actual events, but we're never, ever going to be able to experience the actual event in its purity. None of us can.
2: Well, I do remember this, and I often thought of this even as a child. You know, how do we all see the same thing? But more importantly, one thing that he impressed upon me is when we see ghosts, we all have our own interpretation, like Allison said. And of course, you're going to see Grandma in her best dress because that's your favorite memory. And it's in your head. And somehow the ghosts get in your head and pull up that memory. Right. Remember that?
1: Yeah. And so the point there being that um, if we have this idea of someone, you know, the, the way you remember the people that have come before, you have an, a thought in your head of maybe grand, Grandpa in his best suit. Uh, grandma in her best dress, you know, something like that. And that's their idea. And this goes back to this theory in psychology uh, that's actually called the grandmother cell, that there is a neuron in our brain that kind of represents a concept or an object. And so lately it's been called the Jennifer Aniston neuron <laughs> because they were doing some research and, um, that they, when they were doing research to say like okay uh, do you know does our brain store things like a hard drive where a specific person is related to a specific neuron and so when they were doing some of that research they were showing people pictures of Jennifer Aniston of Holly Berry of people like that so uh, the original was called the the grandmother cell when they were doing that so in our storage area in our brain the visual part um, in the inferior temporal cortex. Um, so it's, it's that certain neurons fire selectively when they see certain faces. So I see a picture of Jennifer Aniston. I've got a Jennifer Aniston neuron that fires and goes, oh, that's Jennifer Aniston. You know, she used to be married to Brad Pitt. Then she got married to Justin Theroux, the guy with the amazing body from The Leftovers. And then they got divorced too. And now blah, 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 blah. Um, all those things like come together And so once that initial cell fires, then it starts firing to things related to Jennifer Aniston or things related to your grandmother. So if we think that a ghost requires so much paranormal energy that they can create a manifestation before you, a physical manifestation that would reflect light and then your eyes would see them reflecting light, or would it be easier for them to just activate enough energy to tap that neuron inside your head. And so you see them as you would think you would see them. You know, it's not you're not seeing a physical manifestation of your grandmother, ghost. You are seeing, you know, th- the neuron is activated. And so you're seeing your memory of her or your memory of Jennifer Aniston. And that's what activates. So that idea that we think like, how much paranormal energy, like we're talking about paranormal energy. Like it's a real thing. Like PKE, (laughs) psychokinetic energy from the ghostbusters is a real thing. Oh yeah. We just use our PKE meters and it tells us when a ghost is around. Um, no, it's, it's the fact that like it taps, like it taps that little bit inside you and that's all the energy that would require for you to see a ghost. But then somebody could see, you know, some, if they tap that in somebody else's mind, they could see your grandmother in a totally different dress. They could see Jennifer Enniston in like her 2006 Emmys dress where I'd see her maybe in her 1998 Emmys dress when I thought she was at her best.
0: Right, right.
1: And so those little things right there, like that's what fascinated me and the way it connected to existing psychology with the grandmother cell. And then going back to William James, who we just discussed a couple weeks ago, William James, he talked about the same kind of thing in eighteen ninety that there was individual cells in our brain that might be holding each concept, and that if we lose like we lose that cell, we might have to relearn the concept and have it reloaded back out of the hard drive Allison
3: yeah um, I mean that was fascinating uh, for me as well, and I, I just think that uh, you know he he really got you to think differently, or to change your thinking. And I mean, that was, that was something that came full circle. Uh, You know, later on, we can talk about the, the Star Trek conspiracy exercise that he put us all through. Um But basically, you know, what he was looking to do is change the way that you think of things. And I, I think he, he was trying to get the message through that all of us um scientists and um you know radical skeptics included uh are looking at the world uh through a faulty mechanism (laughs) you know we're looking at the world um in in a way that we we don't usually acknowledge you know that we all have this very limited view um and you know it's it's He didn't bring up this uh, analogy, but that whole um, story of um, you know the the wise people uh, in a room with an elephant, and they're they're uh, they're blinded or blindfolded, and you know they're they're all reaching out to the elephant, but. You know, one person is feeling the ears, another person is feeling, you know, the stomach, another person, the foot, another person, the tail. So they're all having a different experience of the elephant, but it's the elephant. That's what they're, that's what's there in the room with them. But they can't understand that why the descriptions, their descriptions are coming up different, you know, when one has the trunk and one has the tail. Uh, because they can't see the the bigger picture and that's very much like our uh problems with our interpretations of reality is we can't see the bigger picture of reality we're getting these little snippets here and there and um we don't often get together and talk about um you know like what's your experience of the color purple this is how i see the color purple how are you seeing it I mean, we just kind of Assume that everybody's experience of things is the same, um, and he was trying to show us that that that's that is completely incorrect. That that we're all uh, experiencing something in a different way, and uh, you know we may never be able to experience it in its wholeness and purity because of the way the world is set up, the, the way the universe is.
1: Sure. And, you know, that goes back to this idea that the color blue is a, like, a modern invention. Because if you look at, um, like, Greek authorship and you look at Greek literature, um, they never described the color blue. In fact, the Greeks didn't have a word for the color blue. And this guy in... Uh, 1858, he eventually became like the prime minister, William Gladstone. So he eventually becomes the prime minister of Great Britain, but he's reading through the Odyssey because back in those days, everybody actually read through, you know, all of the classics and probably half the people um, who went to college could speak Latin and Greek and the whole deal. He goes in, he notices that it's really weird that Homer, um, the poet, not the yellow cartoon character, Besides, they wouldn't even describe him as yellow, probably. Um, (laughs) But Homer's talking about the sea, and he keeps on describing it as wine dark. But why would you call it wine dark? Why wouldn't you call it deep blue or even like aqua green? I mean, maybe not aqua or whatever. But why would you call the sea the color of, you know, purple or deep red? Is it possible that it appeared that way? Well, um, some people have thought that. They thought that there may have been some kind of algae that made the Aegean Sea red at the time?
3: Oh, yes, there is red algae. And I, I was talking off air about how maybe it was running red with blood.
1: Right. And some people thought that the Greeks were colorblind.
3: Hmm.
1: Um, in certain, like, the certain Greeks um, were colorblind be- between a couple of different kind of colors. Some people said it was algae. But also... He starts looking in the, uh, in the Odyssey for different color descriptions and he notices that sheep are described as violet, honey is described as green, and of all of the color references in the book he mentions black 200 times, white 100 times, red fewer than 15, and yellow fewer than uh, 10. And so he looks at all these other Greek works and he never sees the word blue. And he starts thinking like, well, what if they just had no concept of blue? And so he starts looking in these different languages. He looks at the Icelandic sagas, the Quran, stories from China, um, the Hebrew version of the Bible. So before the King James version, when it was its original Hebrew. And he starts seeing that uh, like blue is not you know, mentioned at all, at least not the way we think of it. If blue is mentioned the same as green. Like so, that, so it's green that people are describing. They're not describing green versus blue and he looks into like languages and notices that black and white are there right away dark and light and then the next one is red the color of blood and wine then yellow ap- appears sometime green will appear and then eventually blue appears in the language so then this other guy a hundred years later a researcher named guy deutscher he's a researcher that takes this work very seriously and takes it home <laughs> he asks this kid um, why is the sky blue? And he had never told her before about the color of the sky. Like, so he the, he waits till he's like two or three or whatever. And he asks her to describe the color of the sky to him. And she's like, white? And then eventually, after a few times he asks what the color of the sky is, she'll say it's blue. Now, he doesn't know if he told her that or somebody else told her that. But the thing is, she had seen the color blue in you know all around in different places and then when he asked her the color of the sky she eventually says blue so it seems like um how we like our beliefs and how we perceive things actually affects what we believe we're seeing so if we don't have a word for things or we don't have a way of understanding them in our head we can't tell them apart there is an there's another study with an african tribe where they had no term for the um They had like a hundred terms for green and no terms for blue. And so what he does is he uh, shows them 11 different uh, green blocks and one different blue blocks. And he asks, which of these things is not like the other? And they can't tell it apart because they had no concept of blue. And so it's funny when we're talking about the paranormal stuff um, that like this blows my mind that we, if we don't have a way of comprehending it in our brains already, it's almost like it doesn't exist. So connecting all that together kind of is what affected me the most out of the entire thing. And uh, I know. So what did you guys think was the, was the best thing? Lisa, what was your personal favorite?
2: Well, one of my favorite things about Mr. John Tenney is listening to him talk about anything because sooner or later... He's going to hook it up to a story that I wonder, how the heck did he get from this story to that story? He, just because he's so knowledgeable. And then mostly the way everything he talks about is interesting. And he also is very, very specific to say nobody really knows the answers to things. He doesn't have questions and answers. Not Q&A, but Q&I.
1: Oh, yeah. That, that was a good one. The Q&I. I'm like,
2: all right, man. Yeah, because he has no answers. He he says no one has answers. But I like the way he linked several of his stories. And then he always says, you know, don't believe anything I said. He goes, anyone telling you a story can put a good twist on it. And I often think about this when I work on my tour stories. But he had this killer Star Trek conspiracy theory where he had all of us eating out of his hands. And then he goes, yeah, it didn't happen that way. But it started out that uh, Gene Roddenberry was uh, very Catholic, and the Enterprise has a link to that, why he named it the Enterprise.
1: Right. The Spanish Inquisition, when it was in Portugal, which is obviously right next to Spain, it right. was um, El Enterprise or whatever. So the Enterprise in Portuguese, or Spanish, uh, was what they called the Inquisition in, uh, in, in that different country.
2: Yeah, then he went with the sign of the Vulcan is actually, you know, when Spock does that, it's a Hebrew sign. And they made him an alien and sort of discredited his humanity because he didn't like Jews much. And then McCoy was super religious and he's the real McCoy, and we're all going, oh my god, oh my god. And he's telling <laughs> right. us this. And I'm sitting next to Mike, and he's about pissing his pants. He's so excited. I and was, then because
1: it, then he goes, he goes, 1701. He's like, in 1701 was the final execution for the Spanish Inquisition in Portugal.
2: And that's, and that's the, the number, and a yeah. right Yeah, and then we're all like, yes! And then he goes, yeah, I made that up. None of it's true. And I'm like, oh, so disappointing. And, but the, his ability to find all this information and link it up. And I've seen him several times speak now. And that's how he is. He's like, you can't just do ghosts. You can't just do UFOs. You can't just do cryptids. We're all connected. And I really appreciated that about him.
1: I agree. Allison, what was your favorite part?
3: Well, I uh, really loved what Lisa was talking about just a second ago. I, I need to chime in to just say, you know, he had... Been showing us all these connections, and also the fallibility of our um, view of reality, uh, our inherent in, the inherent infallibility of our view of reality, uh, and then he takes us through an exercise that shows us how easily we can be misled, and we get to feel that what what that feels like, um, but also. Uh, I guess my favorite part was when he related uh, this inability to truly know to uh, the fact that that most of the the universe is unknown. Uh, people might not realize that uh, the observable universe only makes up about five percent, and then the other seventy five, uh, or actually ninety five percent. Is uh, made up of dark energy and dark matter. So you know the biggest um, contingent being dark matter, which which we don't understand, or I mean the dark energy, which we don't understand it at all. At least with dark matter, we we kind of get an appreciation of it because of um, its effect or how it is affected by um, gravity and how we can see that how advanced math shows that but you know dark matter e- or dark energy is even more mysterious and that that makes up about 75% of of the universe. So so he, he was saying you know if you went into a job and admitted that you only have a good understanding of about 5% of what is going on on a day-to-day basis they'd probably fire you. But oh, yeah. This is what totally. scientists are essentially telling us is they only understand about 5% of reality and about 95% is unknown and, you know, surprising in ways that they're, they're having a hard time quantifying. And so that was really startling. And then, you know, I went up, went home and looked it up. And, you know, sure enough, there's a, you know, there's lots of articles about it. I, I read one. Um, uh, in National Geographic, and and it is really I just like National
1: Geographic for the pictures.
3: So uh, yeah, so uh, I know that. Oh my god! Um, so I um, it it was really it was really another um, another bit of evidence that he was he was kind of making his making his declarations in the beginning and then supporting them with evidence from the sciences and and this was you know his most powerful piece of evidence you know to say to show us how much uh, we don't know and it put it's puts things in perspective that that yes things can be unknown i mean it gets so easy i think these days to think oh everything's been discovered and i mean i mean that's not even that's not even recent i mean people were thinking Things already, everything had been discovered or figured out, two hundred years ago or a hundred years right. ago, right. right? And and so, you know, now, you know, with um, with all all this information coming at us, we tend to think that that we really know everything. But you know, he he really reframed the universe for us, <laughs> and that's that's something uh, that's really high praise. Uh, when you go see. A talk and it revolutionizes the way that you experience reality. Yeah. Hey, you know. Hey man. That that's five stars right there. So uh, that's that's what I have to say about it. There was, was so much in his talk, uh, but I think the biggest message is how much we don't know, and a call for openness to real study of of these strange phenomena that you know people have talked about across cultures and across millennia. And and not just you not just like what you get right now, which is this um, TV schlock um, treatment of the these strange phenomena that you know are part and parcel of everyone's life. You know, not but he's 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 searching for something that's real. You know, a, a real understanding of these things. You know, that goes deep. And so that's that's why I really appreciated it, because it not only reframed the universe for you, but also uh, was a call to action.
0: Okay, Wendy, uh, what are you going to say about that? Yeah, I was just going to mention, too, that part of uh, his demonstration, you know, going back to the Star Trek thing and believing what we hear from people. You know, he Mm -hmm. he was talking about how we have this inherent trust in someone who's telling us a story. And I just thought that was interesting because there's so many things that were told, especially with nowadays, with all the news being everywhere, all over the internet, rumors being spread oh, yeah. and stuff. But he gave an example. And uh, after after the show, we were talking about it even further at the Showboat Saloon, but he demonstrated using the story about the, the $30 hotel. I don't know if you guys have ever heard that. I won't tell it now, but I'll try to find a link to it somewhere. But it's basically a math riddle. And depending on how he tells it, the math either adds up or it doesn't. And it's just one of these tricky mind things. But I thought that was pretty cool and interesting concept. And for him to bring it up as the storyteller, (laughs) as we're, you know, following his every word and and being fascinated by it, it was just kind of, ah, okay. You know, I believe you, but I know that I need to be cautious when I'm listening to someone tell tell me a story.
1: Well, you know, I think that, um, as we were listening to it, like he even says, you know, we have talk. He's like, don't trust that. He's like, I don't trust anybody. <laughs> right. I he's love like, everybody, but I right? don't trust anybody. Right. That, you, you know, you always got to be careful about um, what you believe because their experience is different than yours. And, and if we're trying to uh, get things that are clear cut answers to stuff, they're not going to happen. So going back to his idea of Q&I, it's questions and ideas, uh, not questions that's... and answers, because we're dealing in the world where things have no like clear cut answer and his whole phrase. And I brought this up in a discussion before when we were talking to him is what you think is weird is weirder than you think. I love and that. it took me a while to figure out what that means. And it's, it's not, it's the idea that, um, you know, we, we understand what UFOs are, right? Oh, they're just aliens that they're from other planets. they they just, they evolved like us in these other planets and they get in spaceships. Like we had, uh, ships that cross the oceans and stuff. And they come to earth. Like we, like, like, you know, the Polynesians cross the Pacific or uh, the Spanish cross the Atlantic kind of thing. And then are okay. And then you're like, what are ghosts? What's well, our consciousness that escapes our body um, after we die and it continues and it comes back to visit? What's Bigfoot? Bigfoot's an ape that we just haven't discovered yet. <laughs> You know, so we kind of, we understand those concepts and that is, they're weird concepts to people who are just, you know, who aren't into the paranormal, but we get them. But the idea is what you think is weird, UFOs, Bigfoots, ghosts, is weirder than you think. It's okay, well, what if it's not consciousness? What if it's like the slips in time that he was talking about? What if Bigfoot isn't just an ape, but Bigfoot is some kind of interdimensional beast that walks in and walks out? I mean, that's what some of the Indians thought. You know, that there would be these different gateways that Bigfoot could pass through and Sasquatch passed back. You know, it's not this idea that, like, because if Bigfoot's really here, why aren't we, you know, they're huge. Why aren't we finding Bigfoot poop all, all over the place? And so it's it's these ideas that we can't be stuck with uh, the, the like, the accepted version of what we think there are, these quote-unquote answers that people have for us, Right? So it's this idea, though, that um, we can't accept uh, the established orthodoxy when it comes to any of this, because none of it makes that much sense. Um, You know, if it was a ghost, why why were ghosts hanging around? Like, what are they doing back here? Like, why would they just be walking through the same damn wall for centuries? You know, what kind of explanation is that? So the stuff that we think is interesting, you know, that we think is weird has to be even more far out than we're currently thinking because the only explanation, you can't use these traditional explanations to answer questions where they're like completely unknowable right now. And so that's going back to like, how do we describe a ghost? Well, how did Homer describe blue? You know, there's just, there's no concept of it yet. And if we told, you know, if somebody told you right now that eventually you would be able to see a new color once you understood the concept of it, you'd be like, forget it. Well, could a ghost or a UFO or something like that be the same kind of thing? Like once we actually get what it is, once we can actually grok the concept, then it won't be paranormal anymore, but it'll be something we can actually understand. So I think the entire lecture on Thursday really led me to a lot of new ideas and that's why I thought it was really exciting. And so, uh, before we go to the song for this week, does anybody have anything else they want to say uh, about you know that we may have missed in our discussion of John?
3: I, I just wanted to say one more thing that uh, you know you you were you were just um, alluding to you know how things are unknowable and you know how even the Explanations of these weird things, you know, don't quite fit. It's even probably a far weirder explanation than that. Um, but and, and also your idea that that uh, that these colors, uh, you know, that you could experience a new color or a new flavor, or you know, you don't know what you don't know yet, is a great way to think of that. But he also explained that you know a lot of science. Um, came out of the paranormal field and what happens is it gets all lumped into all this craziness of parapsychology and the unknown and paranormal and then you know once it somehow gets established then it's forgotten about that it started in the paranormal like with psychology psychology started because of uh the the uh society for psychical research and because of People looking into, um, closely into people's weird experiences. That's what we know as, uh, that's where what we know as psychology grew out of today. And so we totally lose that connection with history. So um, another thing that John did was, was reconnected us with the history of reality and our understandings of it. So not only did he reframe give you an exercise to go through to you know help you see how you could be deceived um, but um, he led you to to think of um, you know how we really need to be more open and we have to be connected to the past so so we know where our current knowledge is coming from and a lot of times it's coming from the study of the unknown.
1: Well, that's that's right. And the thing is, we really appreciated his time. We appreciate the lecture. And if you guys have a chance to go see John, uh, we recommend it highly at any of the conventions he's at. Or if he's ever back in the Wisconsin Dells, you can meet us out there, too, because we'll be hanging out and partying paranormal style in Wisconsin's old uh, mini Las Vegas. But okay, But the thing is, if you want to come see us in person, you can go on a ghost walk with Lisa.
2: I would love to have you.
1: And uh, they can find that at MadisonGhostWalks.com, and she'll take you around and show you weird Madison. Uh, you can check out Ghosts in Milwaukee with Allison. Allison, where can they find you?
3: Oh, they can find me at MilwaukeeGhosts.com.
1: All right. And then as always, you're going to find, if, you're, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, you can always find Wendy at OthersidePodcast.com. Like our listeners, Mark and Dawn, who you're hanging out with Thursday night uh, at the after party.
0: Yes. At Showboat Saloon. Met them at the show. They They were great. Came up and said hello. So thanks, Mark and Don. It was great meeting you.
1: Yeah, that was fantastic. And so, uh, and obviously, oh, we also hang out with Ted and Robin from the Galena Haunted Galena Ghost Tour. And we're all going to be at Haunted Galena this May coming up.
0: Yes. Tickets are on sale now, actually. So you can uh, save the date and get yourself a ticket and we will all be there. Yeah,
1: Woo-hoo. so uh, right there's gonna be sunspot. There's gonna be uh, so like live paranormal music. There's gonna be ghost stories. There's gonna be a ghost story panel. It's gonna be a lot of fun, and you can find that out at is at hauntedgalina.com? dot com.
3: It's hauntedgalinatourcompany.com. dot
1: haunted com. dot com.
0: Stick that in your browser and view it. And the whole
1: entire uh, yeah.
3: event
0: is gonna be at the Haunted Desoto Hotel, which is a really cool venue for and the perfect thing for a haunted conference. So I'm super excited about it. We are going to bring about the end of
1: the world with the Sunspot concert we're planning on Friday night. We have some ideas in order to raise Cthulhu. There and we can't wait to do it in Galena. <laughs> because, I mean, if you think of Galena, it's one of those towns we've talked about before, like a Mississippi River town that was bustling, you know, in the, in the 19th century. Mm. And then it kind of dies. And then what we do is we raise it from the dead. Um, and then Cthulhu, uh, you know, he comes from the depths of the Mississippi and <laughs> eats the entirety of Iowa. There it is.
3: Sweet. That's right. There's connections with August Derleth there. So there might be a power center for Cthulhu. But um, oh, the, you can the also... Cthulhu power zones. Yes, because they loo power zones. So you can also go to hauntedgalena.com. They have a lot of different domains. So uh, hauntedgalena.com uh, to get your tickets now.
1: Anyway, it's a lot of fun. And let's go. So earlier, John was talking about the idea of time slips. That, um, is it possible that ghosts we see? are you know someone looking in from the future or are we looking in on someone from the past and are they seeing seen the ghost of us it's these moments that are frozen in time and um, we find ourselves going back to them or maybe going forward to them and part of that is the idea behind these moments we would love to freeze in time and this song this week by sunspot is called perfect
0: to today's episode. You can find us online at OthersidePodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side.
2: This is ghost host Lisa from Madison, Wisconsin, and I have been a Patreon for See You on the Other Side for quite a while now. Woo-hoo! It's super cool. Yes. To see Yes, it's super <laughs> cool to hear what my friends are up to when I don't get to see them that much. But the best is we have these special hangouts once a month where I... Have made new internet friends far and wide, and I am so excited when I see them once a month, and every now and then I get to meet them in real life while we talk about all sorts of cool, weird things. i So, like, how did I get so lucky to be a Patreon?
1: Well, you just went to othersidepodcast dot com slash donate, and you're helping support this very cool paranormal community and uh, the songs, the videos, the podcasts, the discussion, and all the other things we do to keep the weirdness flowing in our lives. <laughs> and and that's what the hangouts all about. And Wendy, um, I don't have the calendar in front of me. You got to let me know when is our next hangout going to be. I'm salivating just thinking about
0: oh, it. Oh, it's creeping up really quick, Mike. It's going to be this Wednesday. And that is January 29th. That'll be our January hangout. And I can't wait because I love hanging out with people like Lisa and the other fabulous Patreon members that we have that we've really gotten to know over the past you know, couple years here. I'd say. Patreon
1: members like Dr. Ned. Ned is at the level of Patreon membership where he gets a shout out in every single episode. Doc, we appreciate your support. And uh, he's not a parapsychology doctor, but that doesn't mean I don't want him operating on me. (laughs) He's In fact, he's the only doctor I will let operate on me. Wow. Um, All right. That's right. Even in fields, he has no knowledge of. Like, Ned, go ahead and cut me up.
2: Because um, he is that awesome.
1: <laughs> he is that yeah, awesome. Is. But we appreciate all of our Patreon members, and we look forward to hanging out with you guys this Wednesday. Now, if you're not a Patreon member yet, you don't have to cry. You don't have to feel bad. You can join but in. But you by should. Just...
2: You really should cry and feel I... <laughs> bad and then join in. <laughs> you should feel a little Here bad about the guilt yourself. guilt trip.
1: Uh, But you can do that if you go to othersidepodcast.com slash donate.
2: Sweet. I am the demon.